morning. Welcome to Bethel. You guys can have a seat. Happy spring, everyone. Yay, it's springtime. Did anybody go ahead and get a head start on some spring cleaning this weekend, this week? Yes, yes, good thing. Um, another way we kind of refer to this in Oklahoma is getting your storm shelter ready. Okay, so you got to get in there. If it's in the ground, you got to open that thing up. You got to sweep out the spiders, sweep, sweep out the bugs, make sure it's ready. And Ray and I yesterday cleaned out a closet. You have to have your place, your safe place for your storm shelter. I'm serious here. You got to get your place, right? And because you don't, I'm speaking from advice. One time Ray was out of town and the sirens are going off and I'm throwing things out of a hall closet, trying to stuff my kids inside. So Oh, also, if you're new to the area, the sirens alarms go off. The tornado siren goes off every Saturday at noon. That's good to know, right? If you're new to the area, it's terrifying. So, side note. Okay, so I was talking to my kids this week, and we were talking about just, like, um, how things have changed over the years. And Max asked me, he's like, were you born in the 1900s? I'm like, yes, I was. I was born in the 1900s. And um, 19s, yeah. And it sounds old that way, right? Um, <clears throat> and he's like, we were talking about how so much has changed. Like, seat belts. I don't think I had seat belts in the back seat when I was growing up. And we were talking about how now you have car seats and they're five harness and three harness and forward and backwards and have all the different levels of boosters and back straps and everything to make everybody safe. And and the thing is, is that as we come, we learn more um, about safety, and we realize that maybe it is better to be in a seatbelt than in the back window. Nobody else? Anybody else sit in the back window as a child? No? Yeah, right? That's where I traveled. There was no, I'm the baby. I'm in the back window. And so we learn along the way that there are safeguards to put in place um, that make it better for you. And um, today we're going to be looking into God's Word and looking at spiritual safeguards and um, what do those look like and how can we apply them. So let's go ahead and get started on that. Morning, Bethel. How you guys doing? End of spring break. Heading back to school tomorrow. Yay. I mean, it was super exciting. That was super exciting. <laughs> Hope you guys had a good time uh, away from school. And if you got to continue working, okay. Well, this was a busy week today. Hopefully you feel refreshed. Um, we are in... Um, today we're going to talk about safeguards, as Christy was saying, but I have a little bit of housekeeping before we get started. Two things I want to mention. Uh, the first thing is stimulus checks, okay? Um, most of us got some stimulus check from the government if you filed taxes in the last couple of years. Um, and I, I've got some questions, actually, people have asked me. So what, uh, what does God expect me to do with a stimulus check? Should I tithe? Should I not tithe? What do I do with it? And actually, uh, one thing that I see in Scripture is that God actually says to honor him with an increase, any increase that you have. And so uh, when you read through scripture and you see that um, he, from the beginning to the end, the increase is actually what matters. And so if you increased and if your bottom line increased, then recognize God with that. What I've learned in my personal life is that I can do way more with 90% plus God than 100% without God. And so if you'll give God what's his uh, during this time, it would be a blessing. Also here at Bethel, um, there's a lot of activities going on this year, 2021. So if you're one of those people that got a check and you're like, I don't need it, I'm going to return it. 
there's a lot of charities in town that could use it. There's food banks and there's also Compassionate Hands. Um, but if you wanted to invest it here at, the, here at Bethel as well, we would love to partner with you to reach our community and also the, the kingdom work around the world. So just consider Bethel um, if you uh, don't need the stimulus check, which I know most of us need it. And so if you do, um, if you did get it, please recognize God with what he has given you. Um, stretch it by giving to God what's his, okay? It'll be a blessing to your life. Um, the second thing is a fire drill. So here in this service, you guys are the fortunate that are going to experience a fire drill, okay? But we will let you know when it happens. It's not going to be a surprise. Uh, we're, what we're trying to do is our motto here for our kids' ministry for Bethel Kids is Save Fun Jesus. We want our kids to be safe. We want them to have fun. We want them to experience Jesus. And along the way, uh, we're trying to figure out how we're going to do this. Coming into tornado season, um, anything could happen. And so today we're going to have a fire drill at the end of the service, okay? All the way to the end. Uh, once we've sung the song, uh, we've had the wrap-up, we're going to sing one more song, and then we'll have a fire drill, um, and you will be ushered out of the building, okay? You can go this way through that door, this way through this door, and then if you have babies in the nursery... We will invite you, if you want to, to at the end of the, the, the service, there'll be two songs, and like we always do, and that first song, at the end of it, if you'll go, um, you can be with your, your babies if you'd like to. If you'd like the nursery to take care of your babies, they'll take care of it, and they'll be just fine, uh, but if you're a mother and you have an infant in there, we want you to feel secure, and so you can leave during the first song, this door right here at the back of the hall, uh, Doug right there, Doug will meet you there, and he'll escort you to your babies, and we want you to be safe. So, what, so the reason we're doing this is we want the kids upstairs to know what to do in a calm way uh, to get out of the building, okay? But we'll let you know. It's not going to catch you by surprise. Um, we appreciate our safety team that is uh, always thinking ahead and how we can actually have fun, be safe, and learn about Jesus. And so this is kind of one of our initiatives um, today. And so you guys are the lucky ones that get to experience it, okay? So no going crazy, no going, ah, and running out the door with your hands in the air, none of that, okay? Let's be good examples um, and let's be calm, okay? If there really is a fire, uh, we want to be prepared. And one way to do that is to practice, okay? Um, so we're, we're in this, um, this portion of scripture in the book of Philippians. And we're going to be in Philippians chapter 3. Okay, uh, Philippians chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 1, and we're going to talk about safeguards. We're going to talk about security. I want to pray for us and then ask God to, to be with us and to meet with us this morning and so that, he can, that his word would be honored, and we are going to talk about how we can build up spiritual protections in our life, safeguards in our life, um, in order to have a fruitful and a beneficial spiritual life. All right, let's pray. God, we are grateful for you. We thank you for Jesus that you came to this earth you gave your life for us. You died on the cross. God, you took our place. Uh, Jesus, you are our hope. You're our security. You're our future. You're our destiny. Jesus, we love you. Uh, now, as we read your scripture, I pray that today we would be edified, we'd be, uh, that you'd be glorified, and God, that we would be encouraged by the reading of your word. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, this morning, um, talking about safeguards, if you see a fence like this, thank you, Christy, um, if you see a fence like this, you understand what it's for. It's to keep out certain things and keep in other things, okay? If you have a dog, it's to keep the dog in. Um, if it's taller, it's to keep people out. We lived in Central America for a long time, and in Central America, there's uh, cement uh, walls around almost all the houses and bars on the windows like these, and uh, the walls have this glass, like broken glass up on the, the walls, and when I was a kid, I was like, why is there broken glass up on the walls? And a guy said, well, it's to keep the thieves out, at least to cut them on the way in, because if they want to get in, they're going to get in, but at least you're going to cut them on the way in, you know? And so my brother and I would get up there, and we'd chip off the glass, and the guys would be like, what are you doing? I was like, 
I'm just getting this glass off here. I don't like it. I like to sit up on the wall and like, well, you're taking away our security. All of us understand security. We actually spend an incredible amount of time creating security in our lives, in our, in our vehicles, in our homes, in our, with our alarm systems and smoke alarms, and we have speed limits, and we have laws, and you can take your pick. We all have ways to secure and to safeguard our lives. Our kids are now growing up with helmets and knee pads and, and uh, seat belts, like Christy was mentioning, and, and all this is for the security and safety of our kids and ourselves, but... We play with our faith, and we play with it really loosely. We actually do not set up safeguards in our faith, and we let our faith get run over by our circumstances. Today, Paul starts in verse 1 of chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If you have the Bible app, you can turn to the Bible app and follow along. It says, whatever happens, verse 1, whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. He says, I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. So he's, he's saying that he doesn't get tired of actually talking about Jesus. He doesn't get tired about talking about how God has started a work in you, that God's going to complete the work that he started in you. He's not tired of talking about how he gives you the power and the energy to do the will of God. He's not tired of talking about the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Today in our culture, there is a movement, there's a feeling that actually eliminates us talking into other people, speaking in other people's lives, when they have a feeling, we're supposed to not only listen, but affirm the way people are feeling and the way people's um, experiences is. Everybody has their own experience and their own choice and their personal, their personal experience trumps actually data. It, it trumps uh, the, the realities of life. And actually, you hear advice all the time. You do you, boo. Worst advice you can get or give. Do what you feel. You are who you say you are. One of the most unloving things that we can do as followers of Jesus is in our family and our friends to not speak into these situations in our people, in our friends and family's lives. When they're going through something and they're experiencing some difficult circumstance and they're actually making bad choices and they're making bad actions, the worst thing we can do is say, well, you do you. We actually, if we are loving and if we are part of their lives, we actually should lift them up because they are image bearers of God. He has decided who they are, and we can speak into their lives. When we think about what God wants to accomplish in and through them, the most unloving thing we can do is to leave our loved ones uncared for and stepping into actions that could actually hurt them. Paul here specifically is talking about whatever happens, dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Whatever happens to Paul, he's saying, you know, I'm imprisoned and I'm threatened with death that I'm suffering and I'm hungry and I'm abandoned by a lot of people. People are slandering me and people are abandoning me. I, he actually had this internal assurance of the power of Jesus that he kept on speaking the truth of Jesus. And so what we can learn from Paul is that personal suffering can never take away internal assurance. Personal suffering can never take away the internal assurance that Christ has put in our lives. Whatever happens, no matter what, Paul follows this and he says, my dear brothers and sisters, and when I read this, it hits me how difficult it must be to go through life without Jesus. How difficult it must be to face circumstances when Jesus is not a part of your life. And you may be here today and you may be wondering, okay, so this Jesus thing, is this really happening? You're a young person. Maybe you grew up in church and you've heard about it your whole life and you're at a crossroads where you're making a decision for yourself. This morning, you may feel a tug towards Jesus and my advice to you would be to yield to him. 
Because being a, a child of God, being a son and a daughter of God brings us into the family of God, and we can be confident in not knowing the future when we are God's children. We can be confident about not knowing what's going to happen tomorrow when we are sons and daughters of God. And Paul reminds us, he says, brothers and sisters, dear brothers and sisters, but most of us live fluidly in our spiritual lives. We never build up our confidence. We never build up our safeguards. We never take time to work out and establish the security of our faith, to establish walls and security so that when times get hard, we don't fall. We're going to walk through four different safeguards that I believe that every follower of Jesus should build up, and we'll see it here in this passage. And if you personally don't know Jesus today, I pray that you would come to him. The first safeguard that I want us to look at is the safeguard of rejoicing. Paul says there to um, rejoice in the Lord, whatever happens. He says no matter what happens, keep on rejoicing. And rejoicing is this inner ability to see God's goodness in spite of the circumstances, in spite of difficult times. So a lot of us get into difficult situations and we're experiencing difficult things and we understand and we heard God is good and God is the answer and scripture has the answer and yet we feel this turmoil and we don't know what to do. Paul calls us to rejoice. It's an internal state of being. It's literally calmly happy. It is in spite of the storm, in spite of the difficult circumstances around me, in spite of what's going on, things that seem out of control, I internally can be happy. And what I've learned in my life is that rejoicing is actually my personal rebellion against the enemy. Rejoicing is my personal space to say, not today, Satan. That is what I get to do when I rejoice. Because the enemy cannot have my soul, the enemy cannot have my mind. Rejoicing is actually a rebellion. It's a rebellion against my, my feelings. It's a rebellion against my circumstances. It's a rebellion against the pressures of society. It's a rebellion against oppression and a rebellion against Satan himself. So when I rejoice, I'm exercising my right as a follower of Jesus, as a child of God, to know who is in control. And it's not me. Rejoicing, no matter what the enemy throws in my, my life, no matter what the enemy throws my way, rejoicing has been really, really hard this last year, 2020. We've all suffered loss and death and anxiety and separation from loved ones. It's been a sad year. And if we would let the circumstances of our year affect us, it'd be really hard to rejoice. But I want to talk through some unchanging truths about God. He is in control, and I am not. God is in control. The government is not. God is in control. A virus is not. God is unchanging. He does not cave or bend to circumstances around us. God is never caught off guard. God is good in spite of what I see or feel. God has a plan. Jesus is coming again, and he promises to wipe away my tears. And Jesus actually is perfecting his bride, the church. And Jesus is just as real today as he was 2,000 years ago when he walked this earth. He's calling people to himself through the power of the Holy Spirit, and he seals us with his promise. We need to remember that rejoicing is our personal rebellion against the enemy. It's something that I control, no one else can control. The second thing that we need to safeguard is a safeguard of focus. The first one is the safeguard of um, rejoicing. The second one is a safeguard of focus. 
what is the object of our focus? There's a move in our culture to discount Jesus and elevate personal experience and autonomy. And it's a lie, and the world is falling in line with the enemy's plan. God says who we are, not our circumstances. Our faith is simple. Jesus died for me. He took my place on the cross. He rescued me from my sin. He sent his spirit to live in and through me, and he calls me to himself and seals me with the promise that he will come again and give me eternal life. If I'm not careful, I can begin to trust myself and stop trusting in the power of Jesus in my life. It's a slow step to self-righteousness. I cannot trust my feelings. When I think God can't love me, I'm wrong. When I think I don't need God, I'm wrong. If I think I can live without God, I'm wrong. If I'm confident in my own righteousness, I'm wrong. If I try to do it, uh, find myself, I will lose myself. Here at Bethel, we never, ever, ever grow tired of speaking of Jesus. It's always about Jesus. If you've been here one week or a hundred weeks, it's Jesus, 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 because there's nothing else to talk about other than Jesus. It's not about anything else but Jesus. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. It's not about politics. It's about Jesus. It's not about sports. It's about Jesus. It's not about status. It's about Jesus. It's not even about healing. It's about Jesus. It's not about anything other than Jesus. And it may seem like we have nothing more to say. How could we not? Jesus quiets the storms. He lights the way. He loves me. He loves you. He is everything. We want to sing a song together right here in the middle of the message. This is not the last song. Band, would you come out? We're going to sing a song because we believe that Jesus is the answer. We believe that Jesus is the way to actually live. We believe that he is the fullness of God. He's the cornerstone. He's the rock. He's the one that makes the enemy flee and the darkness tremble. He gives strength when we're weak, and he gives us hope when we're lost. And he lifts us up when the world tramples us. And he loves us even when we don't love ourselves. He looks on us with love, and his name is the sweetest sound, Jesus. He is the light. He is the fear conqueror. He is the storm calmer. He is Jesus. Remember this tomorrow, this experience tomorrow when life gets difficult. Jesus cannot be overcome. And that's all in verse 1. Let's go to verse 2. It says right there, watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. The third safeguard that we're going to look at this morning is a safeguard of awareness, the safeguard of awareness. He talks about three different groups of people that are infiltrating the church that we need to be aware of because a lot of people come to church and they put their guard down, and actually Scripture tells us that we need to watch out even with people that claim to be Christian and claim to be sharing a Christian message. We need to make sure that actually it is based on the gospel of Jesus that he died for me. It says right there, dogs. Uh, Paul talks about dogs, and these dogs are the, the scavengers. These are the ones that take advantage of, of death or take advantage of a weakness around us, attacking when you're not looking. I had this, I don't know why, I had this like thing when I was growing up that dogs like to bite me. I'm not sure why. I had this attraction to uh, dogs attracted to me. Uh, we'd go out in Costa Rica. We'd walk around the community. Dogs would always want to come bite me. I don't know what the deal is. And I've, I learned to never turn my back on a dog. You know, just get ready to get ready to kick. So Paul is saying, actually, Christy's like, what in the world? Um, Paul is actually saying here, watch out for dogs. Watch out for dogs. He's not just name-calling. He's actually calling out people that take advantage of the weakness of others. 
I was unpacking spring cleaning yesterday, and I opened up this box, and there's an old VHS tape that, that we got of Cujo, the killer dog. Anybody ever seen that? I've never seen it. I don't want to see it. Just the cover's enough. Um, Christy, I don't know if she bought it or I bought it. I don't remember why we have it, but it's still in our stuff, and I'm like, get rid of that stupid tape, and it's Cujo, the killer dog, right? He's talking about people in the church that take advantage or misuse or abuse people in their care. And he's calling out leaders in Philippi, and he's calling out leaders today to that misuse or mistreat or turn their backs or actually bite people in their care. These are not watchdogs or shepherds. These are actually carnivorous eating dogs. There's no reason why an abusive pastor or abusive church leader should ever be in pastoral leadership again if he is caught or if he's abusing people. That should never happen. In our culture today, in our society today, there's churches and pastors that have actually abused people in the name of Jesus, and they should never be allowed back into ministry. He says right here that dogs actually take advantage and beware, watch out for dogs. Then he says evil, those that are evil, those that have no good in them, and the actual evil is actually satanic. And so you say, satanic in the church? Why would they be here? Actually, there are people that come into the church that have nothing to do with the light and the life. They actually want to bring darkness and destruction. These are evil people that don't have any desire to serve God. They're distracted by their own things, their own desires. Be careful when you open up to people. Be careful when you say more than you should to people that are not worthy of hearing what you have to say. If they are not of God, and they are wanting to take advantage, you stay away from evil people. It says they're mutilators, actively seeking and encouraging actions that undermine what Jesus did on the cross. And so he's talking specifically about circumcision here, and this is a a practice in the Old Testament, still practiced here in the United States for baby boys, but circumcision was actually a Jewish practice established by God in the Old Testament to separate his people from the world. And the church in the first century was mainly made up of Jewish people. And when non-Jewish people or Gentiles would come into the church, they actually began to impose circumcision on people as an addition to salvation in Jesus Christ. Like, okay, you know Jesus, but you need to be circumcised as well. And you imagine a bunch of uh, middle-aged or older men lining up to be circumcised to follow Jesus. That is not a thing that we, can, we should do. It's not a thing that we should practice. And actually today, it's anything that's adding to redemption, anything that's extra, anything that's adding on saying that Jesus is not enough. Today, we have to be careful not to believe or follow any claim that claims to be Christian. Just because it has the name Christian on it doesn't mean that we should be associated with it. We should not be drawn into every conspiracy that we hear. And Christians are the biggest followers of conspiracy. We need to walk away from that. There's churches today that are established based on some kind of special revelation saying that if you do this, then you'll be closer to God. This is a command of the Old Testament. And Jesus, when he came, he did away with the law. He fulfilled every bit of the law. Not only was circumcision a hot topic, but food was a hot topic as well. Pork, eating or not eating pork, who you can associate with. Here's the problem. We need to watch out who we put our faith in. We need to watch out who we trust with our lives. We need to watch out for those who claim to have a special revelation from God or watch out for those that say, thus saith the Lord, because the Lord already said, it's right here. It's contained in scripture. What's here is true and it can be trusted, and it does not change. If someone brings you like a secret code or a new theology that is other than what is clearly revealed in Scripture, don't listen. 
Because God is clear. Jesus is God's person in action. He's the Savior, and there's no one else that can take his place. There's nothing more that can be done. There's nothing more that can be earned. Jesus paid it all. He is the revelation of God to mankind. There is no secret life that you cannot access until you arrive. Scripture says that when you put your faith in Jesus, you come to the fullness of God and you experience God's fullness. We need to be aware and create the safeguard of awareness. We need to be aware of people's motives and assumptions. And another word that is used is discernment. Discern people. It's all about Jesus. It's all about unity under him. And so when people begin to brag about some kind of special spirituality that they've arrived somewhere, be careful. When the church leaders or pastors begin to say that they have a special way of following Jesus, be careful. Be aware. When pastors or leaders or other Christians add to the gospel, run. Don't even stand around and wait. Paul himself said that his personal experience was worthless compared to knowing Jesus. And so I want to skip ahead to verse 4 and read 4 through 6. It says here in verse 4, Though I could have confidence in my own effort, if anyone could, indeed, if others have reason to, for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel. I'm a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church and was, as far as righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. This word if here is a big word because if anyone could do it, Paul actually did it. Paul was so disciplined, he was the most disciplined follower of God that there was. He understood God's law and he accomplished every aspect of God's law. He understood how to obtain personal righteousness with God and he fulfilled it all to the letter of the law. And the problem was that he followed the letter of the law and he missed the spirit of the law. He said, I do to the law of God, but rejected the spirit of God. The example is when I met Christy and decided we were, decided we were going to get married, there is a legal contract that you sign. And the contract is a contract of marriage. And if her and I come into an agreement or a contract of marriage and I say, I will be faithful, you will, we will be each other's spouse, and I'm going to follow your, my, your expectations of me as a husband. But if I never tell Christy that I love her, if I never show her actions in my life that I love her, and I never bring her gifts or acts of service or show her in any other way affection, yes, even some kisses here and there, I'm actually legally acting as her husband but it's an empty and a dead marriage because there is no life there. Many people in Christianity and in religion live under the letter of the law and they go through the motions, understand the legal requirements, they understand the lingo, they can say the right things, they can say the right things on Sunday, they can do good, they obey the law, but they have no relationship with Jesus, therefore their relationship is dead. They're living a dead faith. We need to have a safeguard of awareness. The fourth one is a safeguard of reliance. Philippians 3.3 says, For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. Do you see that the true worshipers of the Spirit of God are, are true worshipers? So, so what does it take to be a true worshiper? What does it take to be a follower and a worshiper of Jesus? It's very, very simple. It's all about Jesus. 
He paid the entrance fee. There's, there's nothing else to do. It's actually Jesus. There's no human effort. I had nothing to do with it. The Spirit of God draws me in and seals me. It's all about Jesus. He has set us apart for himself. He has given us his spirit. And this week I want to give you some homework. In Romans chapter 12, uh, verses 9 through 21, Paul gives a list of safeguards for our faith. He has some actions to put into place to build our life around Jesus. So essentially Paul is teaching us to do the opposite of what we feel. Our culture says, if you feel this way, then you're validated. But Jesus says, no, there's something completely opposite. He, he says, if someone hits you, we want to hit him back, and he says, no, no revenge. If someone cuts us off in traffic, we want to go cut them off in traffic. And Jesus says, no, let's do something different. If you have a sibling and you guys fight and you punch each other, that's what we want to go and have revenge. And Jesus says, no. For your appointment this week, what I want you to do is go through Romans chapter 12, 9 through 21, create a personal faith safeguard for your life. There's some categories. I have it here on the screen. Eliminate, preserve, and initiate. And if you'll have eliminate, preserve, and initiate, as you're going through this passage, you'll see that, okay, I need to eliminate revenge from my life, language, certain, certain words and vocabulary from my life. I need to preserve because all of us are doing some things that are good. So preserve, maybe helping others in need, live in harmony. There's a bunch of other things in the, in the passage. And maybe you need to initiate some things, uh, practice hospitality or rejoice in hope or pray for your enemies or serve in the church. There are things that we can do. And if we build safeguards in our life, we are less prone to waver in our faith. We're less prone to walk away under the enemy's attack. We're less prone to make decisions that will separate us from Jesus and our confidence in him. Because Jesus is the author and he is the finisher of our faith and Jesus actually is our safeguard. It says right there, we rely on Christ Jesus, what he has done for us. Jesus is our safeguard. And just like this fence, I need to build some safeguards for my spirit, for my spiritual life, so that when the storms of life come, which they will, which they have and they're going to, we need to realize that Jesus is our song. Jesus is our purpose. Jesus is our life. That Jesus is our hope. That he is our rest. That he's our confidence. That he's our peace and he's our future. He's our destiny. He's our strength. He's our refuge. Jesus is our safeguard. No matter what life is thrown your way, no matter what you're experiencing, no matter what you're feeling, we can remember we build safeguards around our life. Remember the safeguard of rejoicing. We need to be a rejoicing people, a safeguard of awareness. Make sure that we are aware of where we're stepping, the safeguard of reliance, and also the safeguard of our focus. Where is our focus? Is it on Jesus? I promise you that if you'll put the safeguards in your life and you'll establish them, Jesus will be the focus. Jesus will be your safeguard. And when trials come, your feelings will tell you one thing and Jesus will point you in a different direction. Let's pray. God, this morning, as we think about all that you've done for us and all that you want to do through us, Scripture says that you're accomplishing in us more than we could ever ask or think or imagine. Scripture says that you have a purpose and a plan for our lives in spite of our feelings. Jesus, we trust you. Jesus, we put our confidence in you. And this morning, God, if there's someone that is far from Jesus, I pray that they would be drawn in, that they would rely on Jesus, that he's enough. That just because the world tells us that we are 
far from what's right. We're on the wrong side of history. I pray that we would understand that with Jesus, we can be confident. With Jesus, we can trust. With Jesus, we can rejoice. With Jesus, we can be aware. We can be focused. We love you. God, this morning, draw us to yourself. Let us worship you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand and let's sing together. I just want to share something with you, and most of you probably know it, but if you don't, this can change your life. The fact that if you're overwhelmed and you're anxious and you're scared, afraid, and you don't even know what to say, you don't have the words to say, all you have to do is say Jesus. It starts right there, just his name, Jesus. And that word alone, his name, chases back all fear, all darkness. And I've been there, and I know you have too. And if you haven't, you will be at some point in life, at a point when you have no other words but just to cry Jesus. And it's a a beautiful thing, and that song is is truth, and it's beautiful. And and I, I pray that you take that away with you today just to remember his name. Um, today you, you said to practice rejoicing. And when you said that, I thought, okay, so what's a practical way to do that? You know, to practice rejoicing. Um, I've shared this with a lot of you the last year. One of the things that God really spoke to me about in the last year is when you're feeling down and you're feeling overwhelmed and you don't have a lot of joy, just obvious is to seek him. And that last song about evidence, just see his evidence. And one thing that I started doing is just writing it down, write down the evidences, how he's shown up for you, the blessings that he's giving you. And that right there starts to spark joy and starts to spark rejoicing. But I wanted to ask you, what are other practical ways to practice rejoicing? Well, I say say this all the time. Scripture is probably the biggest source of rejoicing that we can experience because in Scripture we have from the beginning to the end God's plan. We see how God created, how God has drawn in, and and actually he has taught different people in Scripture how to remember his goodness. So you you even uh, years ago talked about stones and picking up those stones why did the Israelites pick up stones out of the river? Is so to they would remember, remember the goodness of God. Remember yeah. what he did before. Because there's sometimes in, the, in a valley or in a, in a difficult time where we just don't remember. We need to be reminded. So have an object you can remember. But scripture, if you want to see some depressing times, go read the book of Judges. The book of Judges is extremely depressing. And in the midst of it, we see the thread of Jesus calling people to redemption. And so in scripture, we find. So every single day, get in scripture. Scripture will get into you. It will be a source of your joy. And, and I, when I said build a safeguard of rejoicing, you may not have one right now. And you may go through difficult times, and you may just be chaotic in difficult times. So it takes a step of practice. And it's Jesus. also a good idea to get ready before you need it. Yeah, kind of yeah. like we cleaned out the closet yesterday. <laughs> yeah. It's like, we don't need it yet, but we might. Right. So it's ready. We're not it's gonna... better to have it out. And so if you're yeah. ready ahead of time, and you have these safeguards in place, then when the difficult times come, right. you're armed and ready. Right. So rejoicing, scripture, Jesus, just saying his name, and then being around other people. I mean, there's something about our feelings when we are depressed or having anxiety, have no reason to rejoice. We want to isolate. That's like our natural tendency is I just want to go cover up in the That's in why bed this last and, year was so and, difficult. Yeah, this 2020 was hard. We need to get around other people because other people will call out of us and, and speak into our lives the things that, that we need to rejoice. And so Jesus, scripture, other people, there's a lot of things that we can do to actually build rejoicing in our lives. Very important. Mm-hmm. All right.
Okay. Right. And if you're so, visiting with us today, we yes. are so glad that you're here. We're so glad that you found us, and we would love to connect with you. And the easiest way to do that is go to our website, which is mybethel.cc slash connect. Yep. And right there, there's a place to put in your name and a way for us to contact you. And we would just love to see how can we serve you? What questions can we answer? And so if you would fill that out, we'd love to connect with you this week. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to stand. We're going to sing a song together. We're going to sing Overcome, okay? So band, why don't you guys come on out and get, get ready, get set up. We're going to sing this song, and then there's going to be a fire alarm pulled. You may not even hear it, okay? So just follow the instructions. There'll be something on the screen. We're going to go out orderly. And when we leave, um, if you have kids, you want to meet your kids in the gym, kids are already gone. They're already safe. They've already gone through the drill. And so while we were here in service, they've already finished. If you want to go meet your kids... Please, well, please go meet your yes, kids please, over in the gym. Please get your Do kids. not leave them in our care, okay? We'll feed them lots of candy and caffeine, and we'll do something with them. So, no, <laughs> go get your kids, okay, in the gym. Yes? Don't forget. Yes. We exist here at Bethel to love and lead one another, to find and follow Stand Jesus. up, let's sing Overcome together. <laughs>